Imagine you're at a party, and there's a very large, tall, athletic-looking gentleman there, and you hear somebody ask him if he uh, ever played basketball because he looked like a basketball player. And he said, yes, in fact, I played on the Chicago Bulls in the 96, 97, 98 seasons. And that person says, oh, wow, so you knew Michael Jordan. You played with Michael Jordan. And so for the next few minutes, this person grills this basketball player about Michael Jordan. Never ask the person's name. Even though this basketball player won a collegiate national championship, was twice All-American, had three NBA rings himself. But his claim to fame is that he played with Michael Jordan. Welcome to the world of John the Baptist. One of the New Testament's most significant figures, but he's buried in the text. I asked David this morning, and I've asked others, have you ever heard a sermon on John the Baptist? Even if you grew up Baptist, as Jeanette did, I asked her one time, did no, never heard anything about John the Baptist. And yet, as we read Luke's narrative, the birth narrative, the first three chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we discover that Luke is second only to Jesus in prominence in that narrative. Not only generally is John the Baptist a key figure in Christendom and in the New Testament uh, document, but especially at Christmas in the birth narrative, John plays a prominent, prominent role. In fact, Luke goes back and forth. He talks about the Annunciation, where the, the angel announced to uh, Zechariah, John's father, that he was going to have a son. And then he talks to, uh, they, tells the story of the angel Gabriel going to Mary. And then he talks about the, gives the birth description of John the Baptist, and then immediately the description of Jesus' birth. And then the story, the, the praise, Mary's uh, song of praise to God for the fact that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And then we have Zechariah's song of praise, that he was to be, he and his wife were to be the parents of John the Baptist. We have John the Baptist's ministry, which culminated with the baptism of Jesus, and then immediately we begin, Luke begins telling us the story of Jesus' ministry. We have the shadow the, 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 the arrest, John the Baptist's arrest, and his unfortunate, unjust death immediately preceding the unfolding of Jesus' ministry, which also ended in an unfair, illegal arrest and unjust crucifixion. In fact, Matthew links John and Jesus, especially in this way, in Matthew 17, uh, he records Jesus' statement to his disciples after the, the, uh, the uh, time on the mountain where Jesus was revealed as the Son of God to his disciples. Jesus replied to, the, to his disciples, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. Now he's referring to the Baptist. To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, 
in the same way. The Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. High praise throughout for this man, John the Baptist. I just want to introduce you to this guy. I've had a wonderful couple of weeks getting to know John the Baptist from the writings of the Gospels. Beautiful, beautiful uh, story of this, this, this unsung hero, especially a Christmas hero. We talk about the angels, we talk about the shepherds, we talk about Joseph and Mary, and yet Luke gives far more space to John the Baptist than to any other character in that birth narrative except Jesus himself. Pretty amazing. So who is this guy? What's he all about? Well, some of the other similarities between John and Jesus. They both had mother issues. I mean, their mothers were nice people. But what I mean by that is that uh, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, had been barren all of her life, and now she and Zechariah were, as it says, well far beyond the birth age of ever being able to have children. And yet, miraculously, Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. And of course, Jesus had a mother issue. His mother was a virgin, which is kind of weird. We'll look at that next week. So they both, both had these strange mother issues. Gabriel announced to Zechariah in the temple that John, that he, he and his wife would have a son. And Gabriel announced to Mary that she would give birth to a son. Gabriel gave names. He told uh, Zechariah that you will name your son John. And Gabriel told, Jesus, told Mary, you will name your son Jesus. Both births were surrounded with great joy. It says in Luke 1.14, speaking to Zechariah about John the Baptist, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. And the angels told the shepherds, uh, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So a lot of similarities. And, and as you read, and I hope you do read these first three chapters of Luke especially, become aware, think with the narrator. Think with Luke. He's putting all kinds of specific narrative uh, devices into this text to emphasize to us that John was instricably linked to Jesus and that Jesus was inextricably linked to John. These two stories, these two lives belong together. And, and so, so as we, we read this thing about uh, John the Baptist, well, who was he? What was he about? If you have your Bibles, please turn in, in, with, to me with Luke. And I want to give you two descriptions. First, the description that, that the angel Gabriel gave to Zechariah in the temple about the fact that his son was going to be born and told who he was. And then the second we find in, in, uh, later in Luke where uh, Zechariah himself is explaining to the people of, in Judea who this child is that was born to him and Elizabeth, this miraculous child. So first, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And, and I, I'm fighting a cold, so I'm drinking a little water here. In the time, this is verse 5, Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod the king of Judea, <coughs> there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So Luke introduced his John the Baptist's parents in a very specific way. 
They both were from priestly families. You understand the tribe of Levi attended at the temple. They took care of all the temple ceremonies, the sacrifices and all that. But one of the descendants of Levi, Moses' brother Aaron, was named as high priest, and his descendants would be the priestly family. And so both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were descendants from priests. This is pretty noble stuff. These were pretty classy people. Both of them were rigorous in the sight of God. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they were not only from the descendants of Aaron and, and of priestly stock, but they were good, godly people. Just wonderful people. But in spite of that, in spite of that, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. Now, what Luke is setting up for us is just how amazing it is that this couple would have a child. For some reason, Elizabeth had never been able to have children. She was barren, like for many years, Sarah was and Abraham. God had promised them children. And as you're reading this text, thinking as, as a Jew reading it, you would understand that there are many references, somewhat hidden, but there, about the Old Testament history and background and tradition that goes into this wonderful story. Well, once, when we're at verse 8 now, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, there were so many priests uh, for, over the Aaron's family had grown enormously. And in Jesus' time, there were hundreds and hundreds of descendants of Aaron who, who could have functioned at the two annual ceremonies in the temple where priests went into the holy place and performed functions. And so by lot, they were chosen by lot. Not every priest ever had this overwhelming opportunity to go into the holy place where only priests could go. And of all of the, the five priests that were selected each time, only one of them was able to serve at the altar of incense because the altar of incense symbolized the prayers. As the smoke of the incense went up to God, the, told, told, the Old Testament teaching was that this was a symbol of people's prayers going up to God. And this, this country priest from the hill country of Judea was chosen by Lot to go into the holy place in the temple. And he was in there doing this amazing thing of, of ministering at the, at, the, uh, at the table of incense, the altar of incense. What a privilege. What an honor. You can just imagine this guy, old guy, been a priest, and before I die, I get to do this. I get to be in this holy place with God, and I get to do the altar of incense. Wow, what an honor. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Whoa, man alive. I mean, and, and look at the response. Standing at the right side of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. What are you doing? Who are you? What is this? 
I mean, it's not going to happen every day where an angel appears. It's very rare. But this angel appeared to Zechariah at, at, at the altar there, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Staggering. Staggering. How could this be? First of all, how, it's, you've you got to be joking. How could we have children? Elizabeth has been barren all of her adult life. <laughs> and those days, done come and went. Ain't no way we're going to have kids at our age. Yeah, look around. We don't have a heavy-duty nursery here. We just ain't those kind of folks anymore. And if Angel came down and said this to me, well, me, of course, but to some of us couples, you're going to have a baby. You'd say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. There ain't no way. And we're going to play hockey on the streets in July in Palm Desert. It ain't, no, ain't going to happen. But not only was this truth staggering, but it had been delivered by an angel. And he said, of course there's going to be joy. He will be a joy to you. You're supposed to call him John. Many will rejoice at his birth. But then he amped it up a little bit more. Not only will there be great joy, he will be great in the sight of God. Wow. I mean, if somebody had said to you when you were pregnant or you, as a couple, your, your child is going to be great in the sight of God. You'd say, oh, wow. For many parents, that's one of the great aching concerns. Well, this promise was before he was even born, before he was even conceived. So this, this exalted sense, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. In, in the tradition of the, the, the judges, uh, Samson and Samuel, who were, uh, were Nazarites from birth, in that tradition, he will be holy. He will be set apart. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So the angel is telling all this to, to Zechariah. First, he's going to be great joy. Then he's going to be this very godly person. And, and, and then he ramped it up a little bit more. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, that could only mean one thing to a faithful Jew. In the spirit of Elijah, the prophecy of Elijah is that he would return and announce the coming of Messiah. This would fill any Jew's heart with inexpressible joy, with the hope that they had been nurtured with from the time they were born. My son is, really? He will go, he will bring many people back to Israel, of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So now he not only said he will be great joy, then he, up a level, he will be a very godly man, up to the next level, he is going to be the long-waited-for, prophesied, promised forerunner, the one who would come and announce that Messiah is on his way. 
Oh, breathless. So here's this old guy in the temple trying to absorb all this. Well, very interesting. Luke has a bit of a sense of humor. Verse 18, after all of that, oh, by the way, that quote, that quote about Elijah, that comes from Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. That's the last statement of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Scriptures. And for 400 years after the prophecy of Malachi, the heavens were brass. No more prophets. No more speakings from God. It had been silent. And the Jews had gone, they had been under the Babylonians, they were under the Persians at the close of the Old Testament, then they were under the Greeks, and then they were, now they were suffering under the Romans, waiting all the time for this Messiah to come and deliver them. And for 400 years, God was silent. It's like we read in, in Hebrews, God who spoke to our fathers long ago through the prophets has spoken again. And the first time God spoke to Israel after Malachi, the angel Gabriel came to this old priest in the temple and said, I got good news for you, Bubba. Your barren wife in her old age is going to give birth to one of the most significant characters in the history of Israel. This baby who is going to be born to you will fulfill prophecy. He will announce the fulfillment of the covenants that God made with Abraham and with David and through Ezekiel, the new covenant, that's all going to happen. And the one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord, and we see echoes of Isaiah 40, of, of making the rough places smooth, and making the mountains and hills low, and bringing up the valleys, and making a highway for our Lord. All of those prophecies that Israel, the people of Israel, had ached and longed for. And for 400 years, hadn't heard anything from God. Suddenly, the lights went on again with this old guy in the temple. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Pretty amazing. Pretty fantastic. Now, Zechariah, verse 18, asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. <laughs> And my wife is well along in years. So with all of this biblical, prophetic, beautiful stuff, he'll be godly, he will be the one who announces Jesus. Old Zechariah was still stuck on this. How can this be? This can't happen. I'm too old. He really hadn't processed it yet, this overwhelming truth. As we'll see later, he certainly did process it. And then we read, when the time of Zechariah's service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So that's the first movement in the story. As the angel of God explained to Zechariah who this baby that would be called, we call John the Baptist, this young kid named John, what he was all about. He came 
to announce the entrance into the world of the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we read, and we'll look at this next week, that the angel then went to Mary and announced to her that she too would have a miracle baby. And then the next movement in the story, we go to Luke uh, chapter 1, uh, uh, verse uh, 27, 57, excuse me. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joys. So all the people there, they're celebrating with this old couple. They had their baby, and uh, the, 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 what, the discipline for Zechariah, for doubting the angel that this could happen. He said, you will not be able to speak until the baby is born. So for these nine months, Zechariah had been tongue-tied. He couldn't speak. And so the baby is now born. All the people are together. They shared their joy. And they came together at his, on the eighth day. They took John the Baptist to the temple to be circumcised. And all the friends were there in a big celebration. And they all said, okay, so what are you going to name him Zechariah after his dad, right? And Elizabeth said, no, no. The angel told us we had to name him John. They said, how can that be? Nah, you're mistaken. Zechariah, what do you want to call him? So they brought him a tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, it says, his tongue was released, and his mouth was opened. And then, what time have we got here? Okay, I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> Zechariah's mouth was and he proclaimed this song in answer to the people's question, who is this kid? Who is this baby? This is a mirror. What's going on? What's happening here? And Zechariah explained, as the angel had explained to Zechariah, now Zechariah is explaining to the people. We have a second explanation. Who is this John the Baptist? His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So this isn't Zechariah making this up. This is the Spirit of God speaking through Zechariah. And, and I just, I'm going to go through this quickly, but I want you to get the, the, the messianic overtones, the, the depth of this song, this prophecy that, that Zechariah gave. He said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has come. Now, Jesus wasn't born yet, but he was forming in Mary's womb. So Zechariah is speaking in the past tense. He's already here. He's in the womb, but he's here. Wow. And, and, and he has come to redeem his people Israel. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, Fulfilling the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David said to God, I want to build you a house, I want to build you a temple. And God said, no, your son will build a temple, but I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. You're, one of your children, one of your sons will rule over Israel forever. And one of them will come as my son. He will come and he will redeem Israel. He will rule the whole world from the throne of David with peace and justice and love. So this reference to the house of his servant David, as Zechariah said, as he said through his holy prophets, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, 
to show mercy to our ancestors. This long-promised descendant of David is coming. He's coming. And my son is going to announce him, and he's going to minister to him. And then he continued, not only to, to fulfill the Davidic, the Davidic covenant, but to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, where this promise and these covenants were made with Abraham, that the descendants of Abraham, the Jews, would bless the whole world. God would bless the whole world through this nation Israel. And now it was going to happen. This baby, this Messiah, this descendant of Abraham had come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then Zechariah went from looking at the people. He looked over here at Elizabeth holding this eight-day-old baby in her arms. And he pointed at him and he says, and you, my child, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God. Wow. You will prepare the earth, the world, for the coming of the Savior. Only one guy ever got to do that, to do that. And then we read about John's ministry, which is really quite profound, but the peak of John's ministry is when Jesus himself came and said, John, I want you to baptize me. You've been baptizing all these people. I want you to baptize. John said, no, no. I should be baptized by you. Jesus said, no, no. I want you to baptize me. And John baptized him there in the river. And after the baptism, it says, the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the next verse says, and Jesus was 30 years old and began his ministry. So John was consecrated from his conception. He was committed to his commission. He faithfully followed through on what God gave him to do. He was convinced of his convictions when he saw King Herod doing something he shouldn't be doing. John the Baptist went and confronted him, and it cost him his life. But he never backed down. He was convinced of his conviction, and he was complimented by his Christ. You say, how can we measure up to that? I mean, what does that have to do with me? Well, you say, John had a miracle birth. Well, so did you. You were born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You were born again through the living and enduring word of God. So you are sort of like John the Baptist. In some ways, even more. 
You were born again into the kingdom of God. He said, but John was filled with the Spirit from his birth. Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Well, John had a clear commission. He knew what he was supposed to do. He will bring people to the Lord their God. He will turn hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Jesus gave you and me a commission, too. The final commission, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be my, that's your commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. As fantastic as John was, Jesus actually said, John is the greatest man in the kingdom, but he is less than the least of those who will be my children, who are born again by my power. Jesus actually said, you are greater than John the Baptist, because the Spirit of God dwells in you. So, our decision is, do we process life as supernatural, born-again people, purchased with the blood of Christ? Are we committed to our commission? Are we convinced of our convictions? And will we be commended by our Lord as John was? As we celebrate all the characters of Christmas, remember the one so often forgotten, John the Baptist. 